You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Lord Jesus Christ, you who promised that when two or three are gathered in your name, you would be here among us. We ask you to be here now, sending down your Holy Spirit, enlightening our our studies, our discussion, our reception of your Holy Word, that in all things we might glorify your Holy Name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Here we are, 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Father, it is good to see you. And Annie Mitchell, it's it's good to be seen. Can I can I tell you something that I got? I've sure I've added yeah, okay. to we're, my we're in, behind social time. At, I've added to my behind the shoulder library. I still haven't found Spirit of the Liturgy. I don't know where that is in my house right now. Look at this. Look at this. No, yeah, I have this ginormous concordance. So when you decide that we're gonna go looking through here with my like three point font, look at that. The old. So we're gonna have to. You know, you need to do like a lecture night where you teach people how to use this better. But anyway, I have one now. So all right, well that's excellent, Annie. And here we are. I don't know that we're using the concordance today, but (laughs) actually, actually we could. Make use of the concordance today. Why not as an example of how it's a tool? Well, let's okay. get started. Okay. Great. Yes. Right. 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's read uh, the passages. Get out your Bibles and your notebooks. And, and I want to welcome new members time. coming in here. If you're yes, not a absolutely. signed up member at the Institute of Catholic Culture, please go sign up as a member so you can get access to all our good stuff. And um, But here we are. Let's go. Ezekiel yeah. chapter 33, verses 7 through 9. What else, That Andy? is our first reading, yes. The, the responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 95. Our gospel this weekend is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And the epistle is taken from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. There we have it. So we are heading to Ezekiel 33. All right. You always reference Ezekiel 34. Well, 34, 35, 36, which ought to tell you something about 33. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 33. We're starting with verse seven. Thus says the Lord, you son of man, I have appointed watchmen for the house of Israel. When you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. If I tell the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, the wicked shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. But if you warn the wicked, trying to turn him from his way, and he refuses to turn from his way, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall save yourself. All right. 
I have to say this reading has haunted me for many, many years. But um, let's get our bearings here. Just remind us um, in general about the time in which Ezekiel was prophesying. So Ezekiel lived during the Babylonian exile, and he was taken into exile most likely in the first or second exile. So if we just flip back very quickly, keep your hand there and flip back with me to 2 Kings chapter 24. I'm just going to have you highlight a couple of things in your Bible here. You said chapter 24? Chapter 24, exactly. I always go to 25, right? Because 25 is the final destruction of Jerusalem. But notice that in 2 Kings chapter 24, in his day, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his servant. Three years, they turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord, and so blah, 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 blah. Okay, there's your first exile. So if you want to make a little note in your Bible, there's the first exile. Daniel goes into exile at this point uh, in the year probably around 605 mm-hmm. or so uh, BC. And then in verse 10, at that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem. The city was besieged. Okay, now you have a second a second exile that takes place right around 598. 8 597 BC, right in there. Mm-hmm. And so Ezekiel goes in either one of these first two exiles. I have a note that Ezekiel goes here in this second exile, verse 10. But trusty old Anto- Antonio Fuentes says, uh-huh. No, no, he's in the first exile. And he actually dates the first exile to when I have a dating of the second exile. So, you know, I don't know. He's in one of his first two exiles. He goes, and but the reason this is important is because he lives then for the first part of his time in Babylon before the before Jerusalem is burned. Okay. Okay. And so so that's important when you're reading his his prophecy that you understand where his prophecy is taking place in his life, right? What is he talking about? So the first part of the prophet of of his prophecy deals with a warning to God's people that. That if you don't repent, it, you're, all hell is going to break loose. Then he basically says, well, even if you do repent, all hell is going to break loose because it's so far gone now that you're not going to repent anyways and all hell is going to break loose. But when it does, and here's Ezekiel's classic thing, is that when it does, that it might look like it's all for naught, but actually God makes use of our sins and the evils that come upon us as opportunities for our repentance and for our learning. Yeah. So he, he's able to turn an evil situation. And we talk about Adam and even the fall. We call, oh, happy fault. Happy because fault. Yeah. out of this, Jesus you know, the, is born the Virgin Mary and so forth. Well, it's the same idea, right? So we oftentimes find ourselves in bad situations. We oftentimes ourselves sin. And yet God is more powerful than our sins. He's more powerful than the devil's darkness. And uh, and therefore, he's able to bring greater blessings if we allow him to. Yeah. And so this is how the prophecy of Ezekiel kind of morphs into a realization. That, yeah, you it, it's not going to go well. You know? But if you learn your lesson, then God can bring good things out of it. Now, here in chapter 33... She's starting in chapter 32 of Ezekiel. The the text really changes and begins looking forward with more hope. 
not only saying, hey, if you repent, then God will be merciful, even though you're still going to, you know, all hell is going to break loose. He now starts talking and saying, look, you're going to, you need to repent. And that's the text we have here in front of us. You need to repent because even though all hell has broken loose, God is going to be victorious and you better get yourselves ready for the victory. And that's what we're hearing here in Ezekiel chapter 33, chapter 34, chapter 35. But he gets get, kind of gets going a little slowly here. And here are the texts that we have in 33, still calling for Ezekiel to warn the people and the results of that warning regarding the salvation of man, right? So that there's there's is not just a question of whether Israel is faithful or not as a collective whole, you have to take responsibility for your particular situation, right? And that's what Ezekiel's ta- telling to the people in, in exile in Babylon. And I just, as you said, we always look at chapter 34. Uh, and 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 I oftentimes look at chapter 36 also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor chapter 35 doesn't get much mention, but nevertheless, here we are. And you can see, I will just go backwards at this and say, look at chapter 36, verse 24. Chapter 36, verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will place in you. So we've we've talked about this be- this passage before, but now you get it in its proper context. Ezekiel saying, hey, even though we're in Babylon, God is going to be victorious. He's going to bring, he's going to act. And, and if we come back now to chapter 34, which is that classic passage about the good shepherd, about that Jesus is is referencing in the gospel of John regarding the shepherds of Israel, who are really wolves, and how God is going to become the shepherd of his people, right? Verse 10, that's chapter 34, verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds that will require my sheep at their hands and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed them. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be their food. And verse 13, and I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my people and I will make them lie down, says the Lord of hosts. I will seek the lost. And I will bring them back straight. I will bind up the crippled. And so forth. Now, listen to this very closely because think about the ministry of Jesus and what we're hearing in the gospel about going and finding the lost one. He's talking about, he's 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 referencing Ezekiel. And then notice verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd. So who's going to be their shepherd? God just said he's going to be their shepherd. But now he says, I'm going to set up a shepherd over them who is the son of David, the servant, my servant, David, he shall feed them. He shall. And so forth. So now you get this colliding of, of these two things. God is going to intervene in the life of his people and he's going to become their shepherd. And who's their shepherd is David, right? David was the shepherd who, who, who became the King, right? So God's going to become their shepherd, but he's also going to appoint, he's going to appoint David now over them. And there's this this coming together, which we've been talking about, about the people, God's, the vision of God's people during the Babylonian exile, when they begin to lose trust and hope in their earthly rulers and earthly leaders. Why? Because of Ezekiel 34, they've been feeding themselves. Yeah. And he's going to, and he's going to bring about this coming together of 
the divine and human, right? Suddenly there's going to be this one who's going to shepherd his people. He's going to be the son of God and the son of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Ezekiel's prophesying all of this, but our passage here now, going we're going backwards to 33, um, is, the, is that kind of calling to personal repentance and encouraging Ezekiel in the midst of what he's facing. Yeah, like we read about last week in the prophecy of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, thank you. <laughs> the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't get treated well, right? He goes and preaches the truth. He doesn't get treated well. Well, here's a good example. Ezekiel also is going to be persecuted, but the Lord's encouraging him, saying, hey, what you do will affect your state of your soul. And what they do in response to what you do will also affect the state of their soul. So you better take responsibility for what you've been given, and they better take responsibility for what they've been given. Because when I come and act and I set up my kingdom, you better be inside the kingdom and not outside the kingdom. And it all has to do with whether you want in or not, right? Whether you want to participate or not. Yeah. I did have a question. I guess maybe this is because we've done so much talking and studying of, of the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. I never really noticed how often son of man was used in the book of Ezekiel. So I'm just yeah. wondering if you could if you could address that real quick. Sure. I and mean, we looked at Daniel already, right? Yeah. And the son of man right in the clouds of heaven. And so this is becomes an important question. And there's I'm not going to say there's an easy answer to this, except to read it on its surface level, that the son of man is he's a human being, right? Yeah. He's 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 a guy like you and me, right? He's got flesh and bones. Sure. Um, and it's a title that's that's used in those terms, but then it begins to gain d- uh, divine, divine, say, salting or peppering, if you will, sure. in the book of <laughs> Daniel, right? Seasoning. And Jesus yeah. is going to use that thing in the book of Daniel, just like the coming together of the shepherd. God is shepherd and David's, you know, David yeah. is shepherd comes together. So in a similar way, this, this use of son of man, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that because there's a lot of speculation as do it's, it's meaning What's the most foundational meaning is man. Yeah? yeah. You who are born of woman. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing anything. Cause I, it kind of hit me when I read this passage, um, you know, to prepare for today. Um, it's like, Oh, this is all over the place in Ezekiel. Yeah. And I never really, like it never really stood out to me until, well, you know, reading about Daniel and the transfiguration. As we look at the first verse of this though, notice the implications. You son of man, right? You, you mm-hmm. one born of woman, you, you man. Yeah. yeah. I have appointed you as watchmen yeah. over my people. It sounds so much like the calling of David you know, yeah. as shepherd over my people. And so he is talking about Ezekiel here. He is talking to Ezekiel. Yeah. And when you hear me say anything, you shall warn them. So you're going to be now you, you who are just a man are going to be called to become the conduit of God. Yeah. And which is very beautiful because this is going to be an application that we're going to apply in, in new Testament terms, in, in terms of grace, in terms of uh, of all of us, we understand as Christians, very powerful way as as the divinization of man and our calling in the ministry of the Lord as members of the body of Christ. That is not a New Testament reality. That is a creation reality. That is a plan of God reality from the Garden of Eden reality. Yeah, this is God's plan in the beginning. What we talk about in the church, 
is, is what Ezekiel is being called into, this, this incorporation into the ministry of God. God didn't need Ezekiel, right? He didn't have to use Ezekiel. He could have come in all his power and glory. I've said so many times, but no, that's not how God works. He allows us to participate in his ministry. And here he calls Ezekiel into this reality. Well, actually, that leads me to my my last question for you in this passage. Um, I started off saying how this passage has haunted me for years. Like how much because I and, and maybe I was reading this in a wrong way because I was thinking about it in light of of chapter 34 and talking about the bad shepherds and whatnot. Right. That I, I'm wondering, like, we who are non-clergy, should we be applying this reading to our lives? Should we be worried? Like, you know what I mean? This is this is like, and I know we're going to have to talk about this in the gospel too. But the um, you wonder when you're supposed to correct someone and when right. you're supposed right. to hold back and what your motives sure. are and. Yeah. Certainly Ezekiel is being called into a particular ministry. Yeah. But but that ministry does not negate the responsibility of all of God's people in their particular role in life. I'll give you a really great example that might is so obvious because we always think about the top of the ladder like achievement of great things like I got to stand up against you know the president of the United States and correct you know I, I got to go right. around and be telling everybody what's going. But but a parent with her child is yeah. certainly called into this ministry, right? But I have a great quote for you from St. Augustine. Listen to this. For this reason, overseers and rulers are set over the churches to reprimand sin, not to spare it, nor is, <laughs> nor is the person fully, I'm sorry. I was just watching some, some juicy news coming out of a recent uh, visit of a hierarch to some yeah. foreign country. Nor is a person fully free from blame who is not in authority. Here's your answer. But who notices in those persons he meets in social life many faults he should censor and admonish. Mm -hmm. He is blameworthy if he fails to do this out of fear of hurting feelings or of losing such things as he may rightfully enjoy in his life, but to which he is unduly attached. Yeah. As I, as I oftentimes remind my parishioners, love because we're called always to love, as we're going to hear in our in our epistle reading. Love is not license, yeah, to do whatever you want. Love is not permissive, right? Love, love always seeks the good of the other. And of course, the good of the other is that we are fully restored in the image and likeness of God. So we are called always, yes, to speak the truth in season and out of season. And maybe I just speak to the parents here for just a minute, because in our society today, we're so often told that our children choose their own way and we must support them in that path. And well, we must love them always, but love is demanding. And I, and I speak uh, my memory of my father when I was living in a way that was totally a contrary and unacceptable to the Christian life. He didn't let me in his home. I would come to visit and he would meet me in the driveway. And I remember him doing this. And he would tell me, I love you, son. I love you too much to ignore what's going on. Yeah. And uh, you've got to get back to church. You need to go to holy confession and you need to get out of the living situation that you find yourself in. I want you to be in our home, but you can't be in our home the way you're living because it's contrary to the life of our family. And I'm so thankful for him 
to have done that for me. Because when times did get difficult and I had serious questions about to ask about life, my dad was the only one I could trust because he's the only one that had the backbone and enough love for me to stand up and tell me the truth. And of course, it's difficult. Every situation is different. You don't want to exile. You don't want to create an adversarial relationship with your children or with those around you. I mean, I see I see people, you know, running around, you know, judge, jury, and executioner of every every other person in their life. That's not the point. But here's here maybe is the point that we are all sinners. All of us are uh, weak. All of us are in a fallen state. But all of us are placed in one another's lives because of that reality. I'm not in your life because you're perfect. I'm in your life because you're imperfect. And God has, has chosen me to be in your life and you to be in mine. So as to call me and for me to call you to a higher uh, higher calling as sons and daughters of God. Um, that's a high calling. And each one of us then is called to be a minister in one another's life as God is a physician in our lives. Notice how patient he is. Yes. Uh, again, I'm going to look at the gospel because right about that, you're, you're starting thinking that gospel of 70 times seven, Peter, right? How many times should I forget? Yeah. But forgiveness is not forgetfulness. No. Forgiveness is a form of love in which I call the other person not to remain in their sin, but to grow forth from their sin to everything they can be, to desire their perfection, to desire their growth in the Lord. Yeah. So Annie, I don't know what's so much haunting, except that it's a high calling for us in one another's lives to assess the other person in their weakness. This is, I mean, look, I'm not great at this. Okay. I'm a, but nevertheless, I have to say it because it's my job, right? I is to assess the weakness, right? Being the doctor, I assess the illness. The person's a uh, is uh, prideful. They're full of self pride, right? Or they're vengeful. Okay, great. I can either condemn them for that, or I can then ask myself, how can I bring about their healing yeah. of their of their pride? How can I bring about their healing of that particular sin? Right. And there's I was the, going to say that requires a lot more discernment than just like wagging your finger at them, which I think exactly. is what a lot of people might readily think of when it comes to something like this. Like you're being sinful. And sometimes that might push them away more than it could help them, I guess. Yeah. Like you have to like think about the best way to actually call them to a higher yeah, ex- exactly. And then now, and now you are uh, in the craft of the Lord. You're 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 crafting. <laughs> you're helping others be crafted and be and grow, right? And that becomes a very beautiful ministry. How do I get my three year old to grow in virtue? Yeah, right. I gotta be tricky. I can't right. just be like you're being bad. That's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, like okay, my 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 friend is uh, he's a bully or, or something like that, right? Sure. My 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 coworker is such a bully. Are you surprised? Really? I mean, really, ninety nine percent of the time we know the other person's weakness already. It's very rare that we're surprised in their weakness, sure. although we act surprised, right? You know me, like seriously, I see, see people, you know, my sins and weaknesses, even if we never met in person, but we, like, he's a hothead. He's, he's a, you know, whatever he's impatient. He's whatever. 
okay, these are my weaknesses, right? No, so now, now the playing field's there. When I am that way, don't be surprised, right? Right. That doesn't excuse my sin, but it invites you into my life to minister to me and help me say, you know, Father, and this happened just the other day. I was really frustrated in the situation. I, my head's blowing off. I, I was right, of course, because I'm always right. And my head's blowing off and I'm so frustrated with the thing. And I texted a friend of mine and they said, they gave me some little bit of spiritual advice to calm me down. Nice. And, and I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. In God's time, it's all going to work out. I needed them there in that moment while I'm blowing my head off. Right. And so, okay. I think I've said well, enough thank God about you, that. But... You thought to send that text. It was almost like a cry for help. Yeah. It's a cry for the right person. Exactly. The right person. That's awesome. Well, let's look at the responsorial Psalm. I think just flowing yep. straight from it. Psalm 95. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Look at this, Annie. Mine may not be as fancy as yours. Oh, that's nice. But I got the big strongs too. All right. So what Annie's talking about, and this is a nice little thing for us. And of course, we're going to talk about hardening our hearts and things like that. But what Annie's talking about is a what's called a word concordance. And what it has is every time a particular word is used in the Bible, it Mm -hmm. lists that word and all the references to it. This is super helpful. And in fact, I used it today in preparation for our study because I got to here to Psalm 95 toward the end of what we're our, our section. Oh, that today you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as at Maribah, as in the days of Masa, yeah. in the desert where your fathers tempted me and they tested me, though they had seen all my works. Now, if you don't have a concordance like this, you can still get online and you can type a word, for example, Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is a oh, great, yeah. it's, really good. it's, it's yeah. Protestant run, but it's an excellent resource. And so, okay, all of our Protestant brothers and sisters are out there. I know I use the word, but, okay. So what I'm saying is that it's not going to have all the books of the Bible in it to reference, whereas you need a Catholic concordance to do that. We do have a really nice, if you have um, a concordance that that lines up with the uh, RSV that has been put out by Emmaus Road um, and uh, the Catholic Bible concordance. But nevertheless, 99% of the time, you're going to be good to go with Strong's, which is like the leading thing out there on the market. And I found it at a used bookstore for- you know, like 10 bucks. You can get these things on the cheap. This don't ever, thing, don't pay bucks. full, don't pay full price. Never. Yeah. No, no. Like $3. I got a little one I travel with right here. Nice. Little strong concordance. I travel with that. So you can get a couple bucks online, get it used. You know, I love here that you travel. Why with is this? Concordance. Okay. What's that? I said, I love that you travel with a concordance. That's well, you, sometimes you have to, like when I go to the Holy land, I've got to have a concordance with me because awesome. I got it. All of a sudden I see a site. I'm like, Oh, I know where that's, I know it's in there. Okay. Here we go. So I'm going to look up Mariba, M-E-R-I-B-A-H. Okay. Go ahead, Annie. Look it up okay, with I'm me. Looking it up. Okay. M-E-R-I-B-A-H. And M-E-R. Oh my gosh. There are so many words in here. Okay. I know. Wow. I know. Mariba. Okay. See also Masa. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Okay. And what, what's your, 17. what's your first reference? What's that? Exodus, Exodus 17. There you go. Now let's go, let's go to our Bibles. Exodus 17. Okay. This is this how is you so do Bible fun. study, guys. This is what you got to do. And and so, you know, we're trying to give you the tools so you don't have to watch these ridiculously long Sunday gospel reflections all every oh, Sunday. But these are so fun. Yeah. Well, we have a little bit of fun. Okay. So look, 17, verse one. 
It's Exodus 17.1. You guys with me? All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people found fault with Moses and said to him, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you find fault with me? Why do you put the Lord to the proof? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, said, Why did you bring us up out of there to kill us and our children out of the cattle of thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do? And of course, he's going to hit the rock here. And I'm going to come down to verse 7. And he called the name of that place Masa and Meribah. Hmm. Yes, the word Meribah means quarreling. And the word Masa means testing. Yeah, so the people were quarreling. They put the Lord to the test, right? And so so there you have it. You can also make a note. Well, in your concordance, take a look. It's going to say Numbers chapter 20, right? Numbers 2013. There you go. 2013. So, but you, but the whole text is before that. This is the second time that people, not the second time, but another time when Moses is going to strike the rock and when the people are murmuring about, about starving to death and not having enough to drink. Okay. So this wow. is the second time. This is when Moses gets himself in trouble. When God says to speak to the rock and Moses strikes it anyways, this is most likely. Oh uh, yeah. And that's why yeah. he can't, he doesn't can't get to enter the promised land. Right. So there yeah. you have it. So there's your concordance. I hope that's a helpful tool to all of you guys in your studies. And uh, you have a copy of that readily available or five like I do. Uh, <laughs> why do I need five concordances? It's not, I got to pack up like half my library. It's really, it's ridiculous. So um, it's nice. So, the, okay, so cool. what, what, what's going on is that that the church is calling us to now say, look, open your, not not only quarreling about water and, and, uh, and things like that, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, yes, like Israel in the desert, don't harden your hearts to the work of the Lord, to the word of the Lord. Don't start accusing him, quarreling and testing. Open your heart to his will, to do his will, even though the situation looks impossible. Yeah. And that's really what the church is calling us to here, I believe, in the reading of Ezekiel, because Ezekiel's life is going to be very difficult when he does this, as Jeremiah was, as your life is. You think your kids, you think I responded kindly to my dad when he did that? Oh, dad, thank you. Thank you. I repent. No, I went back to the pig pen for a couple more years. But I always remembered that my dad was serious about this business. And so the Lord's timing is going to be the Lord's timing. It isn't always going to fix the situation right away. Doesn't mean when you say to somebody, you know, you really shouldn't be living in sin like that. You know, I'd like to speak with you about this situation, about, you you know, whether it's a same sex attraction or maybe it's uh, maybe it's pornography the person's struggling with or whatever the case is to really be a friend to them and to risk your relationships. Because what's a relationship? Unless it's based on truth. As I this is really important to remember. All relationships as a coming together of two persons are a created reality. Friendship is a created reality created by God that we might live in his image and after his likeness. The, the trinity of persons who in the relationship of love are one. There is no unity. There is no friendship. There is no love apart from God. It's all false unity and false friendship and false love. 
So if you really want to have a relationship with somebody, it has to be based upon truth. And it has to be based upon the Lord. Otherwise, it's nonsensical. And it's a farce and it's offensive to God because you're trying to you're trying to be like God apart from God. I remember that in the book of the Bible, maybe chapter two. <laughs> Three, yep. sorry. It didn't take three. very long. Yeah, chapter this is three. chapter three. Okay. All right. Three. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's take a look at the gospel. Matthew chapter 18. And we are yes. starting at verse 15. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Here we go. Jesus said to his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. All right. We got a lot to cover in this. I have so many questions. So um, first of all, of course, we always get our context. Last week, we were at the end of Matthew chapter 16. You know, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. pick up your cross and follow me. We skip over chapter 17. That's the transfiguration. Because we just celebrated the transfiguration. Because we just celebrated right. go the back transfiguration. And do it again. Yeah. Right. But it, has, then, it is problematic. It is problematic for God's people walking in church and they're not doing our studies because then, yeah, this is tragic. It's tragic. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to follow because, yeah. well, that's where it's going to lead me to my question here. And then we skip over the first bit, the first, what, 14 verses mm -hmm. of Matthew 18 to get to where we are. So can you just talk about how this, this will, this kind of proceeds from the transfiguration because i have a feeling that's going to be very important to understanding this yeah well i think um i think we can just kind of in our bibles take a look at chapter 21 yeah chapter 21 verse 1 and when they drew near to jerusalem okay and then i can come back here i was just chapter 19 verse 1 Right. What's our passage? 18, 15 through 20, right? Yeah. 19 verse one. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Mm -hmm. So so now he's heading down the Jordan Valley. So remember, we talked before about the transfiguration being this pivotal moment in which he's going to turn his face to Jerusalem. OK, and and so during this time, he's got he kind of comes back down off the mountain and he remains in Galilee for just a very little bit of time and and really just turns to his disciples and starts really kind of talking. At least this is how I read this section is now the, the his enemies in Galilee kind of fade into the background for a minute and he really focuses his attention on his closest friends mm -hmm. who he's going to now tell him get your bags packed we're heading out and so 
much of what he's talking about here is in the nature of the church, the nature of this gathering around him, and not so much the adversarial situation. I'm not saying it's not here, but it's not quite here like it was the kind of people around him talking all the time, right? But but notice notice what he does. He starts talking about the children. I think it's so beautiful. Um, because now he's really talking about the family of God. And now, actually, if you're looking around him at this moment, yes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians are all still there, but so are the children. And we've been talking about how, how everyone's all these two-faced people. They're kind of questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah, not the Messiah, was his origin. Should they fear the Pharisees if they're going to join his, his, his group or not? All this stuff. But you know how the children are, right? And um, and so he's 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 kind of like in a sense just ignoring the all the riffraff going on and all the stuff going on around. And and he, and then you can see the kids coming up to him and being so pure of heart. And uh, I think of even my parish here on uh, on Sunday mornings um, and the little kids coming and they always want to be they always want to come close. And the priest has been on their fancy vestments and they get to get close and. They like when we do a processions in the church, they like to kiss the priest's vestments, like the woman who's healed of the flow of oh, blood. Nice. Yeah. So they like to come and they kiss the priest's vestments. He's carrying the gospel book. It's very beautiful. Um, and uh, and they're just so so beautiful and so pure. The the and and uh they have this purity of love. They're not tainted. And it's so beautiful that Jesus turns to them at this point. If you take a look, um, I was just noticing in preparation, chapter 16, how uh, chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus prophesies his own arrest, his own passion, and his third day resurrection, right? That's where mm-hmm. he turns and said and rebukes Peter, right? Right. At that moment. But look at chapter chapter 17, verse 22. It's a repetition of the same thing. So you see, it's almost like it's it's like it's bookending. It's like it's uh capping yeah. the, the transfiguration. Mm -hmm. Uh, reality and then having done that as this whole unit jesus can turn his face to jerusalem and as he does that it's like he goes home and says get your bags packed and to do that he just kind of calls in those who are close to him and those and the children are right there yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask about that because it it's kind of interesting now as we you know, since we've been doing these studies and paying attention to these things, when Jesus is talking to the crowd mm-hmm. and when Jesus is talking to his disciples and what exactly um, the message is there. So you I was going to ask if it makes a difference that he's he's talking specifically to his disciples, but you kind of already answered that. So, well, uh, well, oh, go ahead. well, well I, w- I would say that he's, he's not just talking to his disciples because he's also has the children there. Right. He's. He may be talking to his disciples, but he's talking in a way that those around him can hear what he's saying. Yeah. And, he's well, that, yeah. and so, and and I'll point out something that's very important from a liturgical, biblical standpoint, and that is that the church is the author of the scriptures, right? The church, the members of the church, right? The apostles and and Saint Paul and and Titus and Jude. These were this is members of the church which wrote down the revelation of God. Yeah. So we can mm-hmm. certainly say that God is the author of the scriptures, but we can say he used the instruments at his disposal, right? The men who, who he called to write down 
the revelation using, as we talked last week, all of their faculties and all of their gifts. Mm -hmm. And that reality of the church's intimate role in revelation, intimate role in scripture comes out liturgically in a couple of ways. One is that oftentimes we skip texts or we we bring two texts together in in the liturgy because, because the church has this role of forming her children according to the word of God, which she's received. Yeah. Well, this is another great example. This text starts in chapter 18, verse 15 in your lectionary. That is your book where all the readings are collected with the words Jesus said to his disciples, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 15, Annie, open up your Bible, Annie. Yeah. I'm right here. Yeah. You open up your Bible. Well, I have it now. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't say it, does it? No. No. So you have to go up in your Bibles to chapter 18, verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Mm -hmm. who is the greatest? Right. Yeah. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, oh, yeah. To and that, then right? the text is read from there on out. Yeah. Right. So this is this is kind of the church interpreting the text and giving it to you in a format that makes sense to begin with. Because sure. if you just begin as the biblical text begins in verse 15 is no, you ask yourself, yeah, yeah who, who is he talking to? Right. So the church yeah. gives us, it's, it's, it's nice to understand that. Our uh, epistle readings of, of St. Paul always begin in the church in the Byzantine lectionary, brethren. Yeah. No matter where he's coming in the text, verse whatever it is, brethren. And then we begin the text, right? Yeah. Because the church it, it plays this role as in her authorship of the scriptures. Yeah. Anyways, I think it's a nice, a nice little point to make. No, that's a, actually, that's very helpful. I'm glad you mentioned it because I, yeah, I was reading from the lectionary and not from, not straight from the Bible. Okay, so what insight do you think these instructions give us into the mind of God? Okay, can we talk about the mind of the disciples first? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Okay, if we come up to chapter 18, verse Mm 1, coming down from Mount Tabor, notice the question they're asking. At that time, the disciples said, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right. Remember, we said this many times. The kingdom of heaven is not some far or distant thing. It's not some for the disciples. They're not thinking of riding up there on the clouds. Right. Because Jesus just rode from the cloud on Mount Tabor. So they're envisioning the restoration of the Davidic kingdom. How that's going to happen is going to look like I'm not 100 percent sure, but they certainly want to be first. They're going to argue about who gets to be the right, who's their left. This is a big conversation going down in Jerusalem as they're going down. They know he's going to the throne city. Right. And yep. they're expecting to walk in and have him enthroned and drink from his chalice. Yes. So everything going on is their mind is is very much earthly bound, although they've just had this heavenly experience on Tabor. There's there is still they're struggling with how that happens on earth. So now they're they're asking the question, yeah, who's gonna be first, guys? And what do, what do they mean by that? Is well, which one of us? Which one of it? Is it Peter? Because you just said he's got the keys. Is he going to be the one? Is it? Is it me? Is it John? Is it James? Which one gets to be first Lord? And then he says that such a powerful thing, right? That 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 the children says and calling to him a child, he put them to in the midst of them and said, "Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like a like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child." 
he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here he's got, of course, all the Pharisees and Sadducees surrounding him that are all in high places and enjoying their prestige among the people, right? Mm-hmm. And then verse seven, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the man by whom the temptations come. Notice the avenue, right? Does the temptation come, Ezekiel, through you? Or does the word of repentance come through you? And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, and he goes on and so forth like that. Okay. So what your question was, Annie, what Inside, was God thinking? Into the mind of God with this, yeah. the way that he's telling us, well, telling the, the disciples and those around them about how to go about correcting someone. Yeah, because now now he's talking about this communion of persons, right? Who is going to now, they're going to struggle with this union. The devil's fingerprint is always disunity. The devil's yeah. fingerprint is always divorce because God is the source of unity. So Jesus is bringing about a unity, the gathering of God's people, the church, and immediately there's going to be division. And we see that division right away, right? Is it him, Lord, or is it me? Who gets to be first? Who gets to sit on the throne? And he says, and, and he says look, you, you got, you're missing the whole point about the nature of this kingdom. This kingdom is going to be one of service one of love and one of forgiveness because we're about to go to Jerusalem and you think you're going to get all these guys back for what they've been doing for the last three years to me. But that's not the way it's going to work. I'm going to go to the cross. They're actually going to kill me, right? So this is all in this context now of them looking around saying, we're ready to go. Let's go to the throne city. Let's go to be in Let's get vengeance on these guys, Okay. <laughs> uh, they're all around me. He says, no, 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 no. It's not, that's not the way it's going to work as we make our way. We're getting our bags packed. You're not going to go get back at these guys for what they've been doing. Okay. You're going to love them. You're going to forgive them. And you're going to speak the truth to them. And I would you put in front of you, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he stood up and said, you killed the Messiah. You yeah. crucified the Messiah. So he didn't back off of the truth. But then he said, they said, what are we going to do? And he says, repent, right? So Peter now begins to live out at Pentecost what Ezekiel was being called to in uh, chapter 33. Yeah. Can you talk about these these last couple of lines in here about praying together? I mean, why why is it so important to, to Jesus, to God, mm. that, that we I, gather together as Christians? Annie, I've got this juicy quote from St. Peter Chrysologus that you might as well let him say it. Okay. I love this because this is so contrary to some of the garbage we hear out there, even within some hallways of the church. There are those who presume that the congregation of the church can be disregarded. They assert that private prayers should be preferred to those of an honorable assembly. But if Jesus denies nothing to so small a group as two or three, Will he refuse those who ask for it in the assemblies of the congregation of the church? Some, however, endeavor to excuse under an appearance of faith the idleness that prompts their contempt for assemblies. They omit participation in the fervor of the assembled congregation and pretend that they have devoted to prayer the time they have expended upon their household cares. While they give themselves up to their own desires, they scorn and despise the divine services. These are the people who destroy the body of Christ. They scatter its members. They do not permit 
the full form of its Christ-like appearance to develop in its abundant in its abundant beauty. That form which the prophets saw and then sang about, you are beautiful in form above the sons of men. Individual members do indeed have their own duty of personal prayer, but they will not be able to fulfill it if they come to the beauty of that perfected body wrapped up in themselves. Mm. Wow. I love that. St. Peter. How's, the, how's that for going? Oh, I. My church is in nature. Yeah, my as one of my <laughs> theology professor in college used to say, he say, uh, I um, sing to the mountains, sing to the trees. Why don't you sing to something that can save you? You know, I don't ever remember people receiving communion from an oak tree. You know, yeah. I mean, not to saying bad about an oak tree, but there's limits. <laughs> So nature is beautiful and nature is good and it should draw us to to the communion of God. But that communion of God is given to us in the gathering. I can't remember which saint it was said that when Thomas absented himself in the community of the apostles, he stumbled in his faith. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. when he was with the apostles, he began to see the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So never absent yourself or count it as secondary to assemble as a church. That assembly is, as I've said before, is the assembly on earth in the image and likeness of the divine assembly of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the nature of the church. And no one is going to be saved apart from that. Yeah. No. You can listen to my talk on uh, the topic, No Salvation Outside the Church in our ICC library. Awesome. So what do you think um, about the timing i mean i guess it's kind of incidental because we're just marching through matthew here but at the same time um you know that that providence would have it that we would be getting this particular mm. scripture at this particular time in the liturgical year yeah i i, I don't know this way you're getting out or not annie but september 14th is right ahead of us yeah yeah and september 14th september 1st was historically the beginning of the liturgical year because it was the beginning of the calendar year of the roman empire september Mm. 1st it was believed that it was on september 1st that jesus went into the synagogue and unrolled the scroll of isaiah in luke chapter 4 and proclaimed the jubilee year the jubilee year which christians now live every year of our life right? right a year of freedom as the sons of god a release from slavery. So it's there that the liturgical life of the church changes. Certainly then September 14th, as the Feast of the Holy Cross begins now our our, our kind of turning our face toward Bethlehem, toward the nativity on the Feast of the Holy Cross. So as we, we see this book ending of the transfiguration, and then with that, the whole passion of Christ comes into view, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross comes into view and we have this beautiful passage um, of truly giving of our life to another. Really, that's what God is calling Ezekiel to, right? Not to the preservation of his life, but to the giving away of his life. Regardless of what might come, I must love my neighbor. That's what my dad was doing on the driveway. He was loving me in the most intimate way he could. Yeah. And most maybe parents go, wow, that's if I would do that, you know, but he, it was the hardest thing I bet you he ever did in his life was to go out mm. to his son. I'm his youngest son. You know, I'm his little boy. And to say, no, no, I love you. I, lo- I know you're called to more than this. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, and look, as we come to the epistle reading. Yeah. And this is exactly. what the church places before us. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Romans 
chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Are you there, Annie? I am there. Are you ready? Right. Go ahead and give it to us. Yes. All right. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, or brethren, you said, right? Brethren. Brethren. <laughs> Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no evil to the neighbor. Hence, love is the fulfillment of the law. There it is. That is that's you know I, how oftentimes I talk about the nature of love as the center of everything because God is love. And there, St. Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 13. I'll leave you with this quote from St. John Chrysostom, but just reminds you of the Lord's words in the gospel. Tell him his fault, right? As I was saying, speak to the other about, about how they can grow in, in, in what God calls them to. Don't ignore the fault, but don't condemn them for the fault. Seek their restoration. And that's what love does. St. John Chrysostom says, love is a debt which you owe to your brother because of your spiritual relationship to him. If love departs from us, the whole body is torn in pieces. Therefore, love your brother, for if you can fulfill the law by befriending him, then the benefit you receive puts you in his debt. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.